Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Carrier. Turn to the experts. Let's head up to Wiley and Ron. This is Jim. Welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Yeah, Jim, I've got a question for you. I've got a cracked 12 by 12 ceramic floor tile. And I would like to know what is the best way to remove the bad one without damaging the Without damaging what? The adjacent tiles. Okay. Have you got a, you got a replacement tile? Yes. Okay. You know the easiest thing is because you got grout lines there. You can literally break the one that you're taking out and just remove it from the middle, head it out, and your grout lines act as a buffer to keep you from breaking the other tiles. It it's okay. it's really not typically too difficult to get them out uh and what you find a lot of times is the reason it cracked is the mastic to hold it in place gave way and so it comes out a lot easier than people realize where you're going to run into the problem is after you get the tile itself off now you need to clean the concrete up in order to put the new tile in and that's where you got to be very careful I would not use a power chipper. Uh, I personally would use a hammer and chisel to where I can really control a lot more what I'm taking up, especially since I'm doing just one tile. And once you get the most of the mastic cleaned off of it, you're good to put the next one down. Okay, what's the best tool to crack the tile with to get it out? That same chisel that you're going to use to scrape up the mastic? can be used to break the tile. That and a hammer. All right, sir. I appreciate your help. You bet. Good luck with that, Ron. Okay, thanks. Bye. This is out of Joshua, Texas. This comes from Ray. My 80-year-old mother is recovering from a broken hip. This has motivated her to remodel her master bath to have a shower only. Removing the bathtub, the house is pure and being built in 1965. Any input would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. Well, you know, the, the beautiful part about doing a pyramid beam, a block and base, any house that has a crawl space under it like that, it is very easy to redo the plumbing. Because the only thing you're going to really find, uh, you know, in going from a tub to a shower, is you're going to want to move the drain to the middle. Now, can you leave it where it's at and get shower pans for it? Sure. But since it's so simple to move the plumbing under a crawl space like that, I would move it to the middle so it looks like it's always had the shower. The other input that I would give you, if you're going to redo the entire bathroom, in other words, redo tile floors and everything in the bathroom as well, use a shower pan under the entire bathroom floor. You can still put the the drain in the shower if you want and then have it ramp up and slope back down into the bathroom. So you've got a little bit of a lip there to catch the, the water from coming out of the, the bathroom. But the reason I'm saying do the entire bathroom that way, you can make it where it's a roll-in shower. So should it ever get to where your mother's in a wheelchair, you can simply roll her into the shower still uh, without having to go over a, 
a uh, curb and stuff. It really makes it a lot nicer. And as an option, you can actually put the drain in the middle of the bathroom and have the water drain to that spot instead. The entire bathroom then can be done up to where it's watertight. In other words, all you got to do is you got the drain in the middle, you've got tile on the walls, you've got your shower, and if I was doing it, I would put dual drains. I would still have my drain in the shower, but I'd have the one in the middle of the, the bathroom just for any water that does get on the floor. And Quite frankly, it makes it very nice for cleaning up the bathrooms and stuff, but uh, it really makes it simple as you age to be able to stay in the home much, much longer if you can make it where you can roll into it because not everybody even needs wheelchairs. You know, they got a lot of those little chairs that have smaller rollers on it that you can use in the bathroom to get around and by having that little curb that way you're able to use that chair in the shower without having to worry about falling down so it, it really does make it much more convenient kevin welcome to texas home improvement hello jim good afternoon afternoon how are you today I'm good, thank you. I've been listening to you for years and, and value your advice, and I'd like your opinion on a matter that I'm thinking about. I just bought a new home here in Weatherford, <clears throat> independent builder, and he only offers a one-year warranty, which I'm fine with that, him being an independent. My question is, I have heard horror stories of home warranty companies from my professional plumbing company guys and the fact that they follow behind home warranty service people all the time and most home warranty companies don't use uh, licensed or reputable service people to do their work. Do you know a home warranty company that does? No, I do not. And they, okay. and they, are, they are not lying to you. All right. I, I will tell you, yeah, you know, I own a plumbing company as well. I do plumbing in both uh, Dallas and Houston. I also, you know, I, I talk about Advent Air all the time, but I own an air conditioning company in Houston also. And I don't do warranty companies' work because they do shortcut it. They do whatever they have to to make it pass until they're out of the warranty time. And that's just not okay. the way to do, to be doing things. So the guys who are telling you that, they're, they're really not uh, steering you wrong. Okay. Well, I told the wife, I think we'd just be better off just starting us a, a savings account to, to back up any warranty needs we'd have with the house later on and warranty it ourselves. You are 100% correct. I mean, and if you think about it, that's, that's really with almost all insurances uh you know with the exception of like car insurance and, and things like that or even house insurance but when it comes to warranty stuff if they were going to lose money on what they charge you for these extended warranties and stuff they wouldn't be able to do it so That's they're charging enough to yeah, they're, they're charging enough. And what happens is that first year, it comes in really cheap. And honestly, I would tell you it's worth it probably the first year. But what you'll find is the second year, the cost goes up. The third year, it drastically jumps. By the time you've had it past that, it is so expensive 
that if your water heater or something goes out, that one year's premium can pay for it. It's just a stack okay. deck that they they first get you in with a real cheap price the first year, and then it just steadily goes up. Well, I'm glad I talked to you because I was amazed at how cheap they were offering the policy. Yeah, and I, I thought they might go up after getting you hooked in. They do. As always, yeah, I, you, I enjoy your show, and I really appreciate your honesty. Thank you very much. Well, Kevin, you have a wonderful afternoon, and enjoy that new home. All right, you too. Thank you. Bye. This one comes in from Jim in Pinehurst. Just bought a new home. It has blown-in pink insulation. How many inches to meet Energy Star code? Ours has 14 inches or more in most areas I can get to. Thanks, Jim. Well, you know, in our area, in the Houston area, I guess I should say, uh, you're typically looking for 15 or 16 inches, which would be an R49. Now, if you look at the energy codes, they a lot of times just recommend 12. So if, if you're at, you know, 14, 15, 16, honestly, you're probably all right for now. Blown-in insulation will tend to settle over time, and you'll have to add some insulation to it. Uh, and again... When you do, you're looking for about 15 inches or so, which, and just to give you an idea, if you only went with what the uh, the energy codes recommend, which is the 12-inch, that's R38. Uh, if you get up to 15, you're at R49. And truly, you start going over that, it's diminishing return. You're not going to save enough energy to justify the cost of the insulation so take that with a, a, a grain of salt but if it was me I would probably just stick with the 14 inches I have and not put any money into it at this time not to say I wouldn't change it in the future but at this time I see no reason to to make that change you know, I had this other question came in and it's amazing they came in pretty close to each other uh, what is the recommended R rating for exterior walls when installing insulation in Houston, Texas? And, you know, since since we're already talking about the attic, we might as well throw that one in. With the walls, you're typically dealing with a limited space. you got the space of a 2x4. If you're going with standard insulation, it's R13. That's for a fiberglass insulation rated for a five and a half inch space. So that's that's uh, and if you got an older home and by that I mean something from like the oh early 80s and earlier, that's typically going to have an R11 in it. If you have two by six walls, well that'll kick you up to an R18. But let's face it, most of us don't. Most of us just have the the two by four wall, which is actually like three and a half inches thick, so that gives you the R13, and that's about as good as you're going to do unless you go with spray foam insulation in the walls. Now, I don't recommend doing the walls and sealing with it, but I got no problem at all doing the walls and making it look good uh, and energy efficient. That's so you do have some choices with that. This comes from Angelo. In Houston, I own a house in the Heights area. 
it's an old house with knob and tube electrical wiring. Now, I have not experienced any problems, but I have been told I should replace it. What is your opinion and advice in this matter? You know, usually I tell people you've got it, it, most things you don't have to, to worry about doing it anytime soon. However, if you've still got old knob and tube electrical, you are past time to replace it. That is, that is one area where I would tell you the sooner you can do it, the better. Uh, because what's happened is, one, the old knob and tube had fabric over the wiring. It didn't have plastic. It didn't have any other type of – and the fabrics have just deteriorated. I will bet you money if you go up and look at the wires on that system right now, if there's any fabric left at all, if you touch it, it just crumbles and falls off. And chances are good, most of it has already fallen off. It's it's time to get that stuff out. Not to mention the fact that you got no grounding. Uh, you know the the amount of power that you're pulling through that system, it was never designed for that kind of power to be going through it. You know you got to remember what when that knob and tube was put in, it ran a light bulb. It ran an electrical outlet, and that was pretty much it. Yeah, they had a refrigerator and different things like that, but you look at all the electronics we run on everything nowadays, it's a night and day difference. And you need, you really do need to take a look at, at upgrading that. And honestly, it's, it's going to be probably a little more expensive than you're thinking. Uh, because not only will they have to run the new wires and put in outlets and all that stuff, they're going to be adding outlets because they got to bring you up to current code as far as spacing on outlets and things like that. And you're going to have repairs to do after they're finished because in order to run all the wirings, I'm sure there's going to be places where they've got to cut into the walls just to get access to pass everything through. So it, it's not going to be a simple task but something else to keep in mind if you're ever going to re-insulate that old house and things like that you really want to run this new wiring before you do all that because all that and everything will be in the way of running the new wires and i i would i would like to give you better information than that you know or, or you know better not so expensive information i guess i should say but that is truthfully what you need to do is is go ahead and get rid of that. Uh, I would do that before I consider doing any other upgrades to the home. Justin, how are you today? Doing well, sir. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. That's good, good. Um, my question has to do with the outside. I built a patio. It's about 18 feet by 18 feet. It's a fire pit. And what I would like to do is surround it uh, – I'd like to put a post on each corner and uh, uh -huh. for like hanging lights or plants and other things of that nature. Um, and so these posts would be about 20 feet apart because one at each corner. And my, my question is how deep should I go with these posts? If I want them to be about eight to 10 feet high. Well, if you're going to have them and, and you're not going to be tying them into anything else, you're just going to be standalone. Well, uh, I'd like to start off with that, but I might end up putting cross beams on it and building onto it. So I would like to 
keep my options open as far as that. Well, Maybe build a pergola. And that's absolutely fine. It's just if they're going to be standalone posts, truthfully, I'm going to have you go a little deeper than if if you were tying everything together because a standalone post can lean over a lot easier than if it's got boards tying it together on on the other four po other three posts. Oh, so if, you're, if you want it to be let, let's let's say you're going to go uh, ten feet with it, you're going to want to yes. put at least three feet in the ground. Really? Okay. Yeah. If I was tying them together, uh, should I still go that low just to uh, be cautious? If you were going to tie them together right away, I'd, I would probably have said two, two and a half feet. It's, okay. not a, it's not a huge difference. Oh, okay. I got it. Um, can I ask you one more question about the same uh, thing? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So um, I would like to eventually, like I said, and hopefully sooner than later, put in some, uh, you know, time into to some other pieces of wood. So, uh, you know, I would really like them straight up and down. Uh, is there any, um, are there any tips that you would recommend doing if you're trying to get these things pretty straight to be able to tie them together eventually? Absolutely. Here's the, the first thing I would do is, I, I, when I'm setting post, I take two strings, tie them together in the middle, and I put a washer on each end. So I now have basically a knot in the middle with four strings coming off of it. Mm -hmm. Set that on top with the strings hanging down. That's your level. When all oh, four okay. washers are touching, you're straight up and down. If it's leaning one way or the other, a washer is going to be away from the board. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, then what, that's neat. Yeah, it's real simple that way, and you're not having to mess around with a four-foot level and all that. The secondary thing I do is I don't mix my concrete and put it in the ground. I okay. I use dry mix. In other words, I'm going to put a little bit of dry mix in the bottom of my hole, set my post on top of it. Then I'm going to be putting dry mix in about six inches at a time using the hand, shovel handle to pack it. Uh-huh. And that makes it easy to adjust it to, to where you're nice and straight. And as you come up, you know, you're done. You don't have to wait for it to dry and cure and all that stuff before you can start hanging things on it. And that works great for fence posts, mailbox posts, anything that you're putting in the ground that you want to work on. And when you get to the top, come up out of the ground just a little bit with the concrete and dome it so the water runs away from the post. Okay. Wow. Nice. Is there any certain product that you would recommend? As far as concrete? Right. No. Just a, you know, bags of quick crete is fine. Okay. Got it. Okay. Well, that's great. Hey, I appreciate your time today, Jim. Oh, not a problem at all. Thanks for the call. Back into this email question. This comes from the Woodlands, and it's from Matt. He wants some deck wood options. Nice wood options for deck wood at the house entrance or cleans the wood and hot, not with, I can't tell what he's saying here. The wood is good, but 20 years old. Okay, here's the deal. There are some options. I mean, obviously, you can go back with regular wood decking, treated lumber, and you can put a stain and sealer on it, like Ready Seal, or you can go back with a synthetic deck. And if you go back with a synthetic deck, uh, you know, you don't have to put anything on it. Whatever color you put in, it's there to stay. I will tell you, 
I have a, a, a dock at my house for my pond, and it has synthetic deck on it. Love it. No maintenance. Easy as, as pie to, to use and take care of. You don't have to worry about splinters and things like that. The only issue I have, you know it's not wood. You can tell it when you look at it. So you're going to have to decide for yourself, do you want the look of wood or do you want real wood? And that's really the only decision you're going to have to make. If you want something other than that, treated lumber, hey, you can always take a look at putting, uh, uh, you know, like teak down or something like that if it's not a really large area. And then you can put a sealer on that, and it will look gorgeous and hold up to the weather very well. had an interesting email that came in from uh, Steve in Fort Worth. I'm hiring a contractor to seal my leaky 2001 home. They anticipate that I will require ventilating the home and probably dehumidification here in north central Texas. I'm considering four options. The home is already well insulated. Forced air ventilation only depending on the AC system to perform dehumidification. I'm concerned the AC temp will have to be set too low to achieve proper inside dehumidification during the high humidity weather. A balanced intake and exhaust ventilation using a HRV, again relying on the AC system for dehumidification. Same concern as option one. A ventilating dehumidifier to provide both ventilation and dehumidification, but concerned, will such a unit provide adequate fresh air changes? And a balanced HRV with a dehumidifier. Concern is possible overkill and spending unnecessary dollars. Okay. First thing I'm going to tell you, Steve, is a home has to be a little bit breathable. That's the reason I'm not a big fan of the foam insulation in our climate where you totally seal everything to where the house can't breathe at all. Now, I don't know if your home has foam insulation or if you have like fiberglass or cellulose or what type of insulation you have. But if you have one of those types of insulation, even once they seal everything up, your house is still going to be somewhat breathable. Uh, not that you're getting a bunch of fresh air in from outside, but it, it'll be somewhat breathable. And, and let me tell you, the average house, when you take up all these air gaps that, they're, that uh, you're getting ready to have sealed up, has a two-foot hole in the wall. That's the reason the ventilation becomes an issue. On homes that use spray foam insulation and seal up everything, I mean, the walls are are all foam, the, the attic is all foam, everything is foamed up. They simply use the AC system to bring in fresh air and circulate it and it will dehumidify it just fine. That will not be something you need to worry about having to lower the thermostat too low in order for it to take care of that. Uh, one of the options, uh, you know, should you like to keep your thermostat temperature high is to actually have a setting for dehumidification on the system as well. Now, here's the downside of using dehumidifiers that are attached to the AC system. They dehumidify by creating heat, which means now your AC system has to kick on more, which means you're using more power, which means why did we seal everything up just to use more energy? 
because you got to remember your heating and cooling system accounts for typically 65% of your energy bill. 65%. Yeah, you, you'll be fine if you just use the system that brings in fresh air in through the AC system and circulates it out. It's done all the time. Uh, now, you are going to be dependent on that AC system working properly, so you want to make sure that you get it checked on a regular basis and that you keep the maintenance up. But if you do that, yeah, you, you won't have any any issues with it and uh, you know I don't I don't think you have to to worry any further about it but uh, that that was quite interesting that you're having it sealed up that tight that you're gonna have to to do that but I, I think that's that's one of those things where uh, it's gonna make your house more energy efficient as long as you don't go overboard and make it where you got to use more energy in order to fix things. Hello, Sam. Welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hi, how are you? Wonderful. So I have a question about a severe IV problem. I've had IV running up the side of my house. Um, since it's, since it's the wintertime, it's been dormant and dry. So I, I cut it at the base and pulled all the IV off the side of the house but wanted to know what I can do to kill the roots so we don't have the repeat problem. You're, you're more than likely going to have to use some type of herbicide killer, but you, typically you got to wait until you got some leaves coming out again to apply it so that it gets absorbed into the system of the plant. That's normally how it gets absorbed in. And you did the right thing getting it off the brick. That ivy, you know, it burrows itself with the roots into the brick and basically it'll, it'll tear a house up over time wow yeah i've had it go i had it going i mean i have a pretty tall uh ceiling uh rooftop on the, on that side and it probably climbed you know 20 feet plus up yep. all the way to the gutters and um you know i had i, I ripped it all down but I still see a lot of veins uh, through the yep. ground and a lot of roots still there. I pulled as many of the veins as I could out, and I cut it at the base as low as I could get, but I'm, I'm concerned that it's going to come back up. And, and without question, it's going to come back up. And even if you start digging out as much as you can see, it would still try to come back. That's the reason. Let some of the leaves come up, and then you'll put some killer on there. Uh, and that should take care of it. I hate to do this to you. i got to let you go. We are out of time. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next weekend. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.